You're listening to the Creating Resilience podcast with Anne Diamond's Creative Changemaker. I'm passionate about helping clients create calm in their busy lives by having more creative playtime. In each episode, I'll be sharing easy ways to sneak some creativity into your life, whatever it may throw at you. From my own experiences and those of my invited guests, we'll show you how you can overcome any challenge and build your own resilience toolkit. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Creating Resilience podcast and for this episode I've got another fantastic guest to um, to talk to today and this week I've got a lady called Kit O'Malley who's all the way from Oregon in the USA and she's an author, speaker and mental health advocate. Welcome Kit. Thank you. Wonderful being here. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you to come on the podcast. So um, I introduced you saying you're an author, speaker and mental health advocate. That's quite that's quite a big package. So um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Well, sure. Well, I've actually had a passion for mental health or been dealing with mental health issues since I was 18. So but I'm not rather than go through my whole story, I was uh, suicidal at 18 years old. Um, but I uh, got uh, therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy that helped me through that crisis and, and have done a variety of uh, modalities of therapy since then. And, and uh, my diagnosis changed from bipolar, I mean, from depressed to bipolar when I was 39. Right. Um, but what the author part of that uh, happened when um, I've always written, um, like in high school, I wrote and stuff like that. But but in terms of its tie to my mental health, when um, uh, I had a crisis and my husband was up helping his dad who had sepsis, um, I started to become hypomanic and needed a way to cope with the speed, the racing thoughts. Yeah. Uh, so hypomanic is um, like a mild mania and mania, can it can present different ways. But the way that hypomania, like mild mania, presented for me was in these racing thoughts at that time. It's presented different ways at different times. Um, and so I had to get I had to do something to cope with the thoughts, you know, in addition to being in therapy and taking medication. Yeah. So the way I coped with it was I turned to writing wow. and I wrote about to get the thoughts out and to co- and to deal with what was going on. And um, I wrote uh, a blog. I started a blog. And that was back in 2013. And then that blog uh, tied me to a lot of people who are out there um, as mental health advocates and mental health bloggers. Um, and, and then I got involved with write, local writers groups, and I felt like I had found my tribe. Um, there's a huge crossover between writers and mood disorders. Um, just oh, they've done research about so that. so in turn in in using writing as a as a, a therapeutic tool for yourself you found a community that supported you and exactly similar interests and, and experiences yes 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 and who ex- who totally accepted me there was no you know stigma or anything like that right. okay and so uh that was fabulous and so that writing I repurposed um as uh, a book and adding oh, yeah. like an introduction with my journey and organizing the posts by uh, content about living with bipolar disorder, 
um, being a mental health advocate and being a caretaker because I had a high needs son. And if you have somebody, he had migraines, ADHD, depression, and anxiety. So to raise him well, I had to take care of my mo- my own mental health. Yeah, you definitely. Know, had to- you have to make sure you're well to look after your family. Yeah, exactly. So that's the main way that I've used creativity, aside from just always being a creative person, you know, yeah. like approaching problems creatively and and uh, just liking color and in flowers and beauty you know just that's always been important to me yeah um and even cooking you know anything can be creative um so uh creativity has always been an important part of my life um but going back into my childhood I liked to paint and sew and all that kind of stuff so yeah so that's the main way in which it helped me with my mental health journey is that writing helped me with my mental health journey and actually, when I was in my 20s, I was a psychotherapist uh, before I had a breakdown at 30. And when, as a psychotherapist, I worked with adolescent teenagers in residential treatment. And I would give the girls um, journals with lines if they were highly verbal. And then I would give them blank journals if they were, you know, so that they could draw if they were less verbal and more apt to, you know, depending on the individual, whether drawing art, drawing was more there. So so doodling or sketching was more of their way of expressing themselves. Right. Versus those where uh, they were highly articulate and I knew that they were more into writing, you know, just from, you know, it was residential treatment. So I knew these girls pretty well because they went to school there. They, you know what I mean? (laughs) We had everything. So so interesting. You have that insight. So you had that insight into you know, with your with your professional background, right? Into how people with mental health challenges need to be supported. Yet, you needed the support yourself when you're you had your diagnosis, right? Right. And so I you had all the, the tools, same. but you just couldn't apply them because you were unwell. Exactly. I applied them when I well, I applied them when I really needed them. Okay. So you know, it's not that I I didn't uh, apply them. You know, I mean, I've I've written at different times, but when I've I kind of go through chapters in my life, you know, where different modalities are what calls to me. So yeah. that modality, that writing, and I had written in the past, and I was known. I remember having a friend who was a professional writer in my twenties saying, "Oh, so how's your writing?" And I said, "I'm not a writer," and she said, "Yes, you are." <laughs> So, so she's because I wrote on the school newspaper, you know, stuff like that. I wrote on the yeah. literary magazine, you know, I mean, I did write. So uh, I just didn't identify myself as such. And it wasn't until it didn't, even though I wrote, I didn't identify myself as a writer until I would, I was in my forties, even though other people saw me as a writer. So was this after your book was published or? Um, as soon as I started to do the blogging. I started to get lots of positive feedback and I, and, and then, and, and at the same time I started going to a local writers groups, you know, so then you we, identified as a writer. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause um, I think quite a lot of people listening will be writing blogs or, or, or be writing in some form. And I'd be interested to see if they have that realization that they are actually writers. Cause it's like artists, isn't it? You know, say I'm not an artist. Well, as you, as you said earlier, you know, you create every day with food, with your clothes, with your expression, um, you know, in many ways you create, but some people don't, don't see themselves as an artist because they don't produce what 
people would view as art. Right. And I journaled and I and I also wrote as was a letter writer. And I was somebody who, when I wrote letters, would also include and when I journaled, would also include artwork in the journaling and in the letter writing. So uh so actually, at least when I was young in my 20s um and my teens, so I actually did that, you know, yeah. as part of a and my friends were all artistic, you know, and so we all kind of um, you know, that's the the group of friends where I felt, and they're still some of my, my closest friends. So oh, that's because amazing. they accepted me unconditionally. Which that, is that's, a big deal. that's the beauty, isn't it, of the creative process? Because if if it's a shared experience, like you just mentioned with your friends, there's a there's a there's a form of bonding there, isn't it? Because you're connecting through the creativity, you're not connecting through the challenges that you're facing and and I think that's the beauty I've, I've done a lot of work in social prescribing and um the groups that have been set up all the groups I've taken part in through my therapy and my my recovery journey um you can go there as a group to support your mental health but actually you when you're doing the creative practice together you, you don't you don't your your common commonality isn't your mental health challenge your commonality is that you're sharing that creative experience isn't it Right. As you say, that in itself, that reduces the stigma. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And and I think from my experience, it's actually strengthened the bond with those people because you've shared that creative experience together rather than you've had a similar health challenge together. That's interesting. Yeah. So going back to the um, the 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 young people you were caring for when you were in a professional role, um, how did they respond to being given these these journals? You know, well, there's there's it's been I I didn't it was just they were, I gave them as gifts. I didn't give them as you know like them to think that they were therapy tools. Yeah. So I would give them you know Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, you know stuff like that. Um, and um, and then it was theirs to do as they please they didn't have to share it with me they didn't have yeah. to share it with anybody so but i do know from research that it is therapeutic you yes. know that that those tools are therapeutic and i knew that i was giving my girls uh therapeutic tools and then and and that it was helping them but you know i the kids that i worked with were um what we call for what the, the the label at that time and the label I think still is in terms of like getting into these programs for is called severely emotionally disturbed. You know, they had to, it was a very, um, okay. they had to be very troubled to be in residential treatment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's pretty extreme intervention. Um, so the improvements with uh, clients like this could be for, for one of my girls, for example, could be having no communication to her referring to me as my therapist. You know what I mean? Meaning also there was a bond so that we had made progress in our relationship. And I also did other modalities like sand tray, play therapy. I worked with younger children. I even did play therapy with adolescents that they felt needed to do that developmental work. So we did play therapy groups. Um, and, um, and Santre is a Jungian type therapy and it's very creative and helps, uh, people work through unconscious issues, you know, because playing playing with sand. 
with sand and, and things in the sand, you know, yeah. like, uh, so, um, so yeah, so it's, uh, basically by with figurines and stuff like that, they're, um, communicating what they're not able to communicate. Yeah. And it's especially helpful for things like PTSD. So, that, so um, they don't have to express verbally what, right? but they, they sub unconsciously moving the items exactly. or manipulating right. the items. Right. Yeah. Right. It's the same ideas with play therapy. They're communicating through the play or through what they're doing in the sand with the, with the, with the, uh, with whatever dinosaur, whatever the way they yeah, happen, yeah. that they're using in the sand. I mean, all these tools are, are fascinating, aren't they? Because it is tapping into our unconscious because, you know, it, whatever we've experienced in life, it, it, it's in there somewhere. But, you know, depending on how traumatized we are, right. we, we can't access it sometimes. Right. Yeah. Right. So so all those modalities, you know, are healing modalities, mm-hmm. whether it's as a therapist or a, a, as yourself. Yeah. And I was doing it myself without even realizing it. Although I did do art therapy for a period of time in my twenties. Um, but, um, but that was just for a period of time. I tried different modalities of therapy, just sort of, you know, try different things. <laughs> so, I'm a, I'm an uh, emotional freedom technique tapping practitioner as well. Oh, as okay. else. And um, we talk about borrowing benefits. So if we're tapping with clients or tapping with others about their issues they're bringing up we get borrowing benefits as therapists because um you have some sort of healing as well when you're you know when you're tapping with other people you you, you know wow. if something resonates with you you get the ber- you get the benefits too and I'm just curious to know if that's a similar in these modalities that you're describing you know by being creative with the in other people or in a group do you did you do you reflect on it now do you think that benefited you too well, it's a double-edged sword. I think that I did get some benefits, but at the same time, I think that that profession, because I was working with such difficult clientele, okay. it ended up burning me out um, okay. and triggered, along with other uh, traumas, triggered a break, uh, a depress- major depressive episode. Okay. Um, so what happened was, so yeah, when I was doing... It's hard to say because when you're working with really hardcore clients who are having in real time, they're not just talking about their past. This like it's happening yeah, in the now. Present moment. Um, that they're having major traumas in their life. Uh, you know, the loved ones dying of gang violence, for example. You know, mm-hmm. I was right there in the inner city working with some clients um, when I worked with pregnant and parenting teens in the schools. Um, so the stress of having so many young men die weighed on me yeah, because definitely. I was working with these girls who were in the trauma at that time. Yeah. So as a caregiver, it's it's actually there's it can be very traumatic for the caregiver too. Yeah, definitely. Because you care. Way of processing that. Yeah, definitely. So um, and I tend to be an empath, so I take on a lot. So yeah. and then. And then when I worked in residential treatment, you know, the kids tend to act out and, and that can be hard to try, you know, intervening in that. Um, And finally, I I switched from working primarily with adolescent girls to working with adolescent boys. 
and um, when I was 30, and an adolescent boy uh, threatened to rape me during session. Okay. Okay. Which was, was very traumatic. Very challenging. Yeah, very traumatic. Yeah. And I was able to get, you know, he took the, I went for the phone. He disconnected the phone. I, you know, I, I was able to get out of the yeah. office and get help. But um, I, uh, at that same year too, my grandmother died and a friend of mine from high school died of AIDS. And it was in the midst of the AIDS epi- so academic. You were already um, in, a, in a very, yeah, activated place. Right. So I already was in, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area. And many of the people I went to graduate school with and were practitioners as therapists and stuff were gay, gay men because of where I lived. So, yeah, and it, it was very painful to be yeah, that part that that it was a very traumatic experience. That a lot of grief and loss. Yeah. So those things all together got me so depressed I couldn't get out of bed. And oh, wow. uh, my parents said, why don't you try medication? You know, you've been in therapy. Let's try medication now. So I went and I uh, went to first my regular doctor um, and was put on uh, Prozac, which is the first SSRI, serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Yes, type of antidepressant, isn't it? Yes, it's a type of antidepressant. And then I felt like I was going to jump out of my skin. So she gave me another antidepressant that was sedating on top of it. Yeah. which helped. But my parents thought, okay, if you're having side effects, why don't you go to a psychiatrist and get a second opinion? So I went to a psychiatrist and unfortunately he took me off those and put me on an antidepressant, which triggered me okay. and it triggered so- mania. So I had a one, I, I ramped up to a one week full on manic episode. So let's um, just rewind there a little bit then. So you said you you went to a you went to get help from a medical professional and they prescribed you a medication that didn't that you had a reaction to so they gave you another medication and then you went to get to 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 deal with the symptoms of your what you're experiencing and then you went to get help from a talk a psychotherapist and they took you off the medication that had started to help you and um the, the result of the treatment you had with that psychotherapist you you triggered a, ma- a manic episode right. as well. Right. And it was a psych- psychiatrist. So it was a medical, it was a medical doctor. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, obviously in the United States, you have to be a medical doctor to prescribe medication. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, so he, so that was, and he also told me that I was an at, in an adolescent, that what was going on was I was in an adolescent phase of development and I had been a single woman living independently in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a very expensive place to live, working in nonprofits, which is very low pay, <laughs> having yeah. put myself through graduate school. So I actually had achieved quite a bit. And so yeah. I found that very insulting. I was not an adolescent. I was depressed and then having side effects from medication. <laughs> I, I think I think there's a whole lot of misogyny and other things going on there, isn't it? If you unpack that a little bit. Sorry yeah, to say. It was pretty bad. And what's interesting is I ended up moving back in with my parents because this uh, the, the episode I had, the re- reaction to the medication was mania. Yeah. And and it, it I wasn't after that episode when I was somewhat stabilized, not entirely, but starting to recover from that episode. I couldn't even read, you know, like I yeah, had my, my brain was injured. Yeah. 
So, and I needed, my brain needed to recover and I wasn't able to, I tried to go back and do work, like take a temp job just, just, to temp, and I couldn't read. So I couldn't, I, I was falling asleep driving. I could, my, I just wasn't able to do that. So I moved back in with my parents. And at that time I started dating my husband and my husband, you know, he was dating the guy I was dating at that time yeah. said, Kit, you are the most imp- independent woman I've ever met. Wow. And I was living with my parents and working as a temp. And I said, that's hilarious. I started to laugh. And I said, I'm living with my parents. I'm a former professional who's now living with her parents temporarily. But, and he said, no, seriously, kid, you're the most independent woman I've ever met. So I have the psychiatrist say I'm an adolescent. And then I have my, my now husband see who I really was, saw beyond the symptoms of my crisis yeah. And see who I was truly. And I think that that's one thing that is very important that therapists do, you know, which they don't aren't always able to do is that they respect the person. Um, well, I mean, you know, just hearing your story, I mean, I wonder how many other people have been badly treated like that you know sort of had a really poor experience with a medical professional and it, there is still a white coat syndrome element to it there's you know we we feel the medical professional is the expert and they know more about us than we do but it sounds to me like you were were fortunate enough to meet somebody who actually knew you better than the the medical professional they actually saw you for who you are right which is is great right and when I moved my you know I got a better psychiatrist and a better therapist and uh the psychiatrist uh you know decided that I wasn't at that time did not diagnose me as bipolar, even though I'd had this full-blown manic episode, they saw the mania as being triggered by the medication and medication okay. changes. So, so you knew that was a temporary thing. Then it was just purely a, a, a it was a result of the medication. Of the medication. Than, yeah. Right. But now they're starting to see that people who react that way to antidepressants just might be bipolar. Okay. But that's useful to the knowledge as well, and and that that is something that that can be lived. You can live with it, can't you? You could be, it right. could be perfect. You know, it's not a, it's not a stigmatizing thing, is it? You know, and right. that, I think no. that's what you're campaigning on, isn't it? You're campaigning to right. say, yeah, this is not a stigma. This is this is this is a, a health condition like any other health condition, and it and it can be managed and lived with. Yes, yes, and obviously it's a spectrum disorder, so some people have it more severely than yeah. others, and and we show different symptoms, but. Um, you know, I wasn't diagnosed with the bipolar disorder until I was 39. So I lived, yeah. you know, functioning on antidepressants and in therapy um, until I was 39. And then I started to feel euphoria. And I recognized that euphoria as being hypomania and manic, yeah. you know. The, yeah. And so um, and so I was I got help and was diagnosed with bipolar. Um, and at that time, I was a mother of a toddler. So that high needs toddler. I didn't know he was high needs. I just knew his high energy. We didn't understand all that was going on quite yet. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I knew that I had to take care of myself to take care of him. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Kit. I mean, you know, my, my story, which I've shared many times is, is pretty similar, really. I mean, I, I sort of escaped a very traumatic family situation when I was 17. Somehow, got through school and went to university but I spent my 20s and 30s similarly you know in and out of 
therapy and depressive episodes and breakdowns. And I didn't get the label, as I call it now, of complex PTSD till I was 38. And once I understood it, everything made sense, you know, and it sounds to me like you've managed to navigate through that as well and understand what you need to do to support your well-being so you can support your family. But, you know, if people aren't getting the support or the diagnoses they need, how can they ever make sense of how they're feeling and, and how to look after themselves, you know? Right, right. So if you're not happy really with the care... to talk about this, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You talk about it, that you talk... One of the things that... Well, first of all, I want to say that if you're not happy with the treatment you're getting, go to somebody else. Yes, definitely. I, I, in the... Um, obviously, we still have, thank, hopefully in the UK, we still have a national health service. Um, I won't go there. I won't go any further, but it, we still have free at the point of access healthcare in the UK, which we're very blessed to have. And I know you obviously in the States, it's a different Don't. situation. Um, and one of the, um, I'm very privileged to be a trainer in the NHS on personalised care. And we're, we're, we're trying to teach people, both prat medical practitioners in the NHS, so the people actually treating patients and you know, hopefully change mindsets with patients, um, a personalised care approach, which um, is going from asking what's the matter with you to what matters to you. And yeah. that subtle change in mindset both ways with the practitioner and the individual patient helps the individual patient take more responsibility for themselves, as in I have, a, I have responsibility for my own well-being. I have agency and I have choice. But equally, the practitioners need to know that that person is a whole person with, right. you know, a whole life of experience and their current living situation. So they could present with a condition or a symptom, but actually it could be about something completely different because it's about the whole person, isn't it? I love it. I so, love it. Yeah, Thank we're, you we're for doing that. that. Training and, um, yeah, it's, there's some really interesting things that are coming out of it because... People don't question their medical professionals. They just, you know, if they get if they and if they get a poor one or a some a one that doesn't understand their situation fully, they don't feel they've got agency to question it. And I think it's really important that yourself, you know, these stories come out and we we do challenge it. Right, right. So creativity as this creating resilience. We'll go back to. I'm, 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 <laughs> I, I, I love hearing people's stories. I love back hearing to your creativity. <laughs> yeah, no, I love hearing your story, and and obviously it sounds to me that you've had to be creative throughout your life to to navigate through these challenges and barriers that have been put against you. You know, and you know you found people to support you in your writing groups and your husbands and your family. You sound like you've had a really lovely support network. So the writing has continued through that hasn't it by the sounds I see that's a thread yes it was through. I'm actually since I published my book I actually have not done as much writing so there's and I understand writers sometimes go through that periods where they huh. don't write so I I right now my creativity is is not doing the writing ever since I so for many years I was writing actively yeah and um and right now I'm in a most of my creativity, actually, I would say right now I'm being creative. Yes. So I think my creativity is being used not only in in speaking, but I in my volunteer work. I do uh, I do website design for our local 
National Alliance on Mental Illness uh, okay. uh, chapter. Uh, and um, and I, you know, anything, I, every, everything I do, I do marketing collateral. I've done stuff like that professionally. I've always been creative. So whatever job I've had, when I see yeah. a problem, I'm able to come up with a creative solution. Right. And so that's sort of a passion of mine and something that I do every day is approach problems creatively. So in your in your public speaking and your campaigning, um, well, do you want to talk, talk a bit about more about that? Because you're, you're, you know, you're, sounds to me like you're a very passionate advocate for reducing stigma for mental health. Yes. So, so well, I, I'm what I'm doing right now, I'm right now, I've recently, I just started doing these podcast interviews, which is sort of like, wow, you fantastic. know, they've just been great. I love them. And, and it's so easy. I, you know, I don't even have to shower. I can just put on some makeup if they're going to be videoed. <laughs> well, video podcasts are coming, but I'm not doing them just yet. <laughs> don't worry. I've been doing both. So, um, <laughs> I, and, um, so, so it's, I just really enjoy meeting all these wonderful people. And so I think that's another thing that, um, and, and I, maybe I'm stretching the, 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 the definition of creativity, but I think that in relationship, because you're having a relationship with an interviewer. So in relationship yeah. to, in, there's something being created. So I have that that I'm doing to, to, to fight stigma against mental health um, conditions. And I'm, uh, I do volunteer work for, like I mentioned, my national uh, nonprofit, um, uh, the, the uh, local affiliate of it. I'm a board member and I do a lot of uh, creative stuff in terms of using my uh, uh, skills. I, I do a lot of social media posting um, about, I love sharing um, the latest research and stuff like that. So Amazing. I share. You've got to find creative ways of communicating that, haven't you? Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about um, how people can access support for their mental well-being in America. Are there any phone lines or any sort of, because I'm just curious, because obviously it's a big place and there's different states and um, how does it work in the States? Because in the UK, we have various national lines and things. So, Well, ever since July of this year, July 2022, we have had one national line. Well, we had the national line before that, but the, now they got it down to three numbers. So if you are in the United States, and you need support if you're in a crisis, you can call 988. That's 988. Nine, yeah, okay. 988. It's sort of like the 911, but 911, let's say that's for a heart attack. And now 988 is for mental health support okay. in crisis. That's brilliant. So nine because we have 999 in the UK for our emergency number, but um, 9988 in the US, that's, that's the United States. So, yes. Um, and, and what does that do? What's it... Well, it connects you to trained counselors who can talk to you and support you and get you, refer you to services or, uh, you know, assess if you need to be, if you need to go to the hospital, say, if you're suicidal. Um, so, uh, so yeah, if you don't want to go to the hospital, you know, don't say you're suicidal, <laughs> but if you, they basically are there to, to they're trained counselors that can and, talk and to you and support you. So any from anywhere in the United States, so you know, do they know the services in the in the air or do you get linked through to a local exchange? I'm I'm a bit curious of the tech there. So they just get linked to the exchange in your area, right. do they? They they actually 
they it connects to the area of your area code on your phone. So oh, this okay. is technology they need to update a little bit because mm. many of us have cell phones that have area codes that are not yeah. attached to where we currently live because we move. Okay. So that's something that they're working on to get it more, you know, like GPS yeah. driven so that they know exactly where you are rather than, um, and then there's privacy issues rather than the area code of your phone. But they can still connect you to your local resources, no matter where you are. They can well, connect you to your local resources. You know, anything, anything that can help is good, right? I mean, you know, even right. if it's not perfect, if it's going to help right. somebody save a life, then... Oh. Yeah. That's and they still have, are able to, you know, where are you? And if they need to, if you're, if, if, if talking isn't doing it and they need to refer you to something locally, they, they will do so. Okay. That's brilliant. I'm pretty so, sure I'm not an expert on 988, but I'm pretty sure. That's no, that's amazing. Well, I'm always curious to know how things done in other countries. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book about burnout at the moment and I, I, I Obviously, I know quite a lot about the UK, but I'm curious to see how things happen in other countries and how things operate because we're a global a global society now, aren't we? And right. I, I'm talking to you from Ore- from Oregon. I'm, I'm in the UK, and you know, you don't know that somebody could be listening from another country and think, "Oh, right. is that applicable to my country?" So I'm, right. I'm quite mindful. Yeah. Only the United States. So, yeah, and you know, States. it's it's you know we we obviously in the united states that's a great resource but in the united states because we are so divided by states yeah it's, there's you know there's that issue in general not not about this line but uh and we definitely need in my opinion and i'm just going to say it say national health care national we need national health care i i <laughs> totally back you there and yeah i mean we're trying desperate trying to save our national healthcare in the UK here because um, our government is following the, the United States model and trying to bring private healthcare companies in, and they're, they're chipping away at every little bit, and it's starting to break down a little bit, unfortunately, and it's it's very sad to see. But um, yeah, so we're trying desperate trying to save our national because you know in, in Somerset where I live in the southwest of England, we've joined um, all the mental health. Um, organizations so the charities and the voluntary sector organizations and the and the healthcare services they've worked together as a partnership as a network and it's called open mental health because one of the things that people find challenging is um phoning up a line and saying oh no you need to speak to this this service and they get passed from pillar to post and obviously that's going to affect their their health if they're not getting the support they need and also retelling their story, it can be really traumatizing. So um, there's one number and then they triage it and pass and, you know, the person only has to tell their situation once and then, then all the agencies understand what the person's needs are. So, you know, they're starting to link things together, which can only support people better, can't it? So, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I'm a big believer in in sharing. I know that there's some private, like the United yeah, States, is yeah, yeah, obviously big privacy issues, issues, but yeah. But if you're okay with the individuals, okay with that, it's great to have Improved basically the providers being on the same page and on the same team. Yeah, definitely. and actually, the organization I volunteer for, that's big. One of the big parts is having the family being part of that team. You know that okay. it's all. You know, you're having. You're, it's a community. 
Okay. You know, it's not yeah. just you as an individual, but you like the reason I've had success is because I've had friends who supported me. I've had family support me. I have a husband who supports me and, and, uh, and psychotherapy and medication. And if a family member is concerned, you can, you know, uh, give your feedback to the healthcare provider about, you know, I'm concerned about my family member. So, um, but also I mean, you can in the United States. Well, yeah, but it was, I mean, I, we can draw parallels with any health condition. If somebody's the person who's got the condition is getting the support they need, but the impact on the families, the families don't get support. So it's really important you do include the families in that. So it could be cancer. It could be a mental health challenge. You know, the person who's got that condition is getting all the support they need to get them through it. But the impact on the families is is often than that. That can be more traumatizing for the families because they don't know how to support the person, but they also, they respond because they're feeling, for, you know, they want to, that person to be well, don't they? So, right. Yeah, so that whole, would be. Whole, a, I'm sorry, I was in the whole thing around family support, isn't there? Really? Yes, and actually, that's what our NAMI N A M I dot org is yeah. a U.S. nonprofit. It was founded by families of adult schizophrenics okay. who needed support. So we offer peer to peer classes and family classes like, that are psychoeducational. And we offer support groups for in, peers, individuals with mental health conditions and for family members with mental health, you know, who have family members who with mental health conditions or friends with mental health conditions. So it's it started as a family support and has grown to be both. So oh, we work- together and many of us are in multiple roles right i'm i'm the child i'm myself i'm a mother yes. i'm a wife you know what i mean yes. it's not if just we're, me if we're disassociated still then we could be in multiple parts of us as well you know so yeah we're yeah so so nami so what's the national what i'm, I'm going national I'm alliance on mental illness national and alliance on all, mental illness yeah, so it's n a m i dot o r g for org. So um, org. Maybe we'll share that link in the show notes. Then that's that would be great then, like, if, if you anyone that wants link. to. Yeah, and also, um, I didn't ask you about your book. What's what's the title of your book? My book's called Balancing Act: Writing Through a Bipolar Life. So it's that it's right. it's actually all about writing. I, like, I love the pun there, the balancing yeah. and the writing. I love that. Brilliant. So balancing out riding through a bipolar life. So we'll share the links to that in the chat in the notes too. You'll send me those links. So I have one final question because it's been lovely talking to you and I could talk to you all night, but um, I've got to sort of be sleep. boundaries here. Uh, <laughs> and, and also my tea's nearly ready. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Oh, you've got tea. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Um, yeah. So Actually, um, it's coffee. I'm oh, amazing. <laughs> So if you were going to uh, um, top tip for introducing more creativity to life, because we're about creating resilience and we've talked, we've okay. explored so many, so, uh, so many brilliant ways um, and, and your story has been so inspiring to like it. Top tip for creativity and resilience. You know what? I'm going to say before I talk about creativity and resilience, I'm going to remind everybody that you are enough and that you are loved and that you are capable of loving. Amazing. So, Thank you for enforcing that. Yeah. In loving yourself, do what comes to you naturally, you know? So I think, like, if you feel more comfortable painting, paint. If you feel more comfortable writing, write. Try different things. See what 
calls to you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what calls to you at one time may something else may call to you at a different time. Like you may go through your, just like you think of great artists going through their blue period or their <laughs> different periods where they kind of, um, cause I get like in this mindset where this is what I'm a dog with a bone on this at this time. Yeah. And then I go to this period of time where I, I see myself, my next period of being going back to painting. It's just yeah. in my mind, you know, yeah. I have, have all the separate lies, but I haven't done that yet, but it's there. It's there. I have. So, um, Great. I look forward to seeing those. And I'm, I'm just laughing because I'm, I'm recording this in my art studio. And uh, I'm going to, you can't see this on the podcast, but Kit can see this. I'm going to turn my camera, my computer around so you can see there's a whole pile of paintings there. Um, Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, not all of those are going to be ones that I'd like to sell or publish, but they're all part of the process. And, you know, being creative can be just for you. It's not for everybody else. Yes. Yes. So, and in fact, journaling is awesome just for anybody. And in your journal, you can draw, you can paint, you can write, you can do whatever you yeah, want. Brilliant. Brilliant tips. Right. Well, thank you so much, Kit. It's been brilliant to talk to you. I love, that's what I love about doing these podcasts is that I get to meet people I would never get to meet, you know, just by doing a blog. And um, I, I learn too, you know, we learn from each other, don't we? So yes. Amazing. Well, keep up your fantastic work with NAMI and um, your voluntary work and, you know, challenging <laughs> stigma around mental illness because, yes. you know, it, we've still got a lot of work to do. And um, the more we talk about it, the the more other people are going to say, yeah, yeah, I felt like that too. And I needed some support. And hearing other people's stories is, is one of the most powerful ways of sharing that, isn't it, really? So thank you so much, Kit. And I'll share all the links in the show notes. I might have to get a copy of your book. It's nearly Christmas. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice to speak to you, Kit. Thank you for nice coming on the podcast. You too. Thank you, Anne. So that's all for this time. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and please share with anyone you know who might benefit from hearing what we discussed today. If you want to find out more about how I can help you create change in your life and discover more creative ways to living and working well, you can check out my website at www.worksafeandwell.co.uk where you can read the weekly blog posts and book a free power hour discovery call. You can also download a free guide to taming your stress triggers from the website at worksafeandwell.co.uk forward slash overwhelmed hyphen and hyphen stressed. For all the links to my creative work, look up my link tree link forward slash Anne Diamond Artist. I also run a private Facebook Beat Burnout support group. The links to that and all the other ones mentioned here are in the show notes below. Until next time, stay safe and well and keep creating. Mm-hmm.